Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Before we get into our episode today, we'd like to ask you to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast streaming service. It helps OnDocs grow. Welcome to OnDocs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. And today we're bringing you three music documentaries about three vastly different artists. They are Kanye West, Charlie XCX, and Olivia Rodrigo. And joining us to go through these docs is freelance culture writer, Sumiko Wilson. Hi, Sumiko. Welcome. Hello, guys. Thank you both for having me. I'm so excited to chat. Thanks for joining us. So we picked these three artists because they all came out with docs around the same time, but also because they each come from a different generation, just like the three of us do. Uh, You have one Gen Xer, that's Kanye West. You have one Millennial, that would be Charlie XCX. And then you have one from Gen Z, which is, of course, Olivia Rodrigo. And I'm going to ask our representative of Gen Z to talk about Olivia Rodrigo, Driving Home 2. That's the name of her documentary. So, Samiko, why don't you take it away? Thank you so much. So Driving Home to You is a documentary slash concert film directed by Stacey Lee and in it, the newly minted Grammy winner slash pop phenom Olivia Rodrigo, who's only 18, takes a road trip from Utah to LA telling stories about the inception of her album, Sour. I did this road trip so many times back and forth between LA and Salt Lake. And it's not your typical music doc. It's not what I was expecting at all. We're not necessarily flies on the wall witnessing diva behavior or uh, outset or upsets or mayhem or anything like that. It takes a more like narrative driven approach with these really beautiful scenic shots of Olivia on the open road, intercut with like vlog style footage of her and her producer, Dan Negro in the studio creating the album. Um, initially, I thought that these traipsing shots of her on highways and in fields would interrupt the intimacy but I did come out of it with a deeper understanding of Sour full disclosure though we're in the same cohort I know nothing about this woman Um, (laughs) I I hadn't even listened to Driver's License in its entirety before watching this film I know I'm probably the only person on earth who hadn't but um, I, I felt like her music was a little teeny bopper for my tastes and I also disagreed with the widespread reaction from a lot of people my age was which was that they wished they had someone like her growing up and my counterpoint was that we had many people like her growing up so I didn't feel like it was as fresh as it was being purported to be but after watching it I am a convert um and I am very averse to musicals and musical uh breaks so when I heard felt like she was getting a little lengthy with uh the very cinematic performances I was a little um, off put, but by the 30 minute mark, I was like bopping my head ferociously to deja vu. Um, I think that she's phenomenal. Um, She deserves all the praise she's getting. And what I really liked about the documentary was that it really tapped into the idea of like radical transparency that feels very now, even though it's not, like I said, a fly on the wall documentary, you're still getting a really substantial slice of who she is. And as someone who knew nothing about her, um, that felt very satisfying. There's even one scene where she's like 
I think, on like a plane hanger, and she talks about um, the inception of one song and feeling like uh, she hated being single or she wanted to have a boyfriend. And as you may or may not know, the album talks about the course of a breakup, and it was very refreshing to not get the typical celebrity jargon around breakups like, yeah, we're just really great friends, or like, we're trying to make it work. Um, the things that celebrities say to gloss over their conflicts. She was like very, very honest in not only her songwriting, but in the narrative around this documentary. So I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And I am now an Olivia Rodrigo convert. I may or may not have downloaded Sour after watching. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think she's great. No I, judgment. Oh, sorry, Colin. I just wanted to, before, I know, Colin, you're going to talk about your documentary, but I thought it was really interesting what you said, Sumiko, about how um, you're now a convert and the radical honesty that she displayed in the documentary. Do you think that maybe that's a reason why we're seeing these kind of documentaries, like to maybe people who might not listen to their music? to be introduced to them through this? Absolutely. I feel like these kind of films can function in two ways. They can either be a complete vanity project that offers nothing, um, or they can really like crack the veneer and open new audiences up to someone. And I think that this did the latter. There's a very, very, very fine line between the two, I think. Um, but yeah, I did, it didn't feel like fan service. It felt like a window into um, a very like elusive and unfortunately dramatic world of an 18-year-old girl. I, I, I feel like you, like you I'm, I'm, I've, I wasn't really a big Olivia Rodrigo fan uh, when she first started, I, I, I downloaded Sour. I was like, eh, not really my thing. <laughs> yeah. Then I watched this doc, and it converted me as well, I'll be honest. I, I, I do feel like it's more of a commercial than an, a traditional documentary, which I guess is fine. I mean, it, it served its purpose. But I did like, you know, just the honesty in, in her uh, lyrics. I mean, at one point, she actually refers to one of her songs basically sounding like all the other songs, but with different words. And I thought that was true. I mean, these really are the lyrics of a teenage girl. But uh, for what it's worth, I mean, I I really enjoyed uh, her performances. I really love Driver's License. I think that's become like my favorite song. Um, well, I want to know from your point of view, though, Sumiko, just, you know, she sort of came out of... I don't know if she came out of nowhere, but she sort of exploded in popularity, I guess, within the last year. I think the first time I heard of her was on SNL. But why do you think she had this kind of like breakout in 2021? I think it's two-pronged. I think, first of all, she, um, though I missed the boat of her Disney stardom, she was a Disney star, and I think that that's a very perennial star maker. She's not the first to be a, a Disney Channel star turned pop star, and she definitely won't be the last. Um, so that's part of the reason for her uh, popularity to this degree. But I also think that, like, I, I hate to make this comparison, but like the idea of that, like Billy Joel, every man, someone so relatable who you feel like you're friends with, who you feel like you kind of know, um, she really taps into that, even though she's like, uh, she has like super model good looks and she's like very beautiful and glamorous and has been famous since she was a child. Like she's able to express herself in a way that's very uh, relatable and sentient and human in almost a Taylor Swift-y way. I say that that's probably a more apt comparison, uh, the Taylor Swift comparison, but I think that she taps into the idea of the everyman. And we haven't had a star like that for teenagers in so long, so it it's refreshing as much as I hate to say that. <laughs> the hater in me is, like, beating. <laughs> well, thank you for giving us uh, your take on Olivia Rodrigo's doc. I'm going to talk about Charlie XCX, and her film is called Charlie XCX, 
alone together. And I'm just going to state off the top. Well, first of all, she's a millennial like I am, although I'm a little bit older than her. So uh, she's actually probably closer in your, to your age, I think, Samiko. But anyway, for our purposes, we'll just. <laughs> I was going to say because Colin, you're all closer to my age. But I'm, anyway. closer, I'm closer to your age and I'm closer to Kanye's age. But for our purposes, I'm just going to I'm going to be the millennial on the panel. Uh, and I'm just going to say off the top that I'm a diehard fan of Charlie XCX. I have been ever since she came out with her first album. And I'm actually seeing her uh, next week in Toronto. Uh, at Massey Hall. I saw her in her first show in Toronto about eight years ago. She's just one of my favorite artists right now. She's She just makes really great pop songs and doesn't really try to steal out of that lane too much. You know, she's not like trying to do the Lady Gaga thing, you know, do the adult contemporary sound. She's she's really about making fun dance tracks, making fun music for the clubs. And she's not the greatest singer in the world. I don't think she would say she is. I don't think she's the greatest dancer in the world, but she manages to balance both pretty well. And this doc uh, she made during the pandemic when she was under quarantine, she was uh, with her boyfriend and her two managers and dealing with anxiety, dealing with a little depression. I think all the things we were all feeling during the quarantine and wanted to express her creativity. And so she decided to make an album in five weeks, which is crazy because most albums take about a year at least. There's all these things you have to do. To There's a whole process involved for getting an album launched. And uh, to do this album, she actually got her fans involved. And that's where the documentary sort of comes in. Okay, I'm going to try and make an album. Recording myself. Input one. Ooh. Sharing demos with you, acapellas with you. I'm going to ask you guys to help me make videos. She would release uh, demos and song lyrics and music stems. And uh, she'd have Zoom meetings with her fans. She calls them her angels. And they basically records this album. It's all captured uh, like she captures a lot of it with her cell phone. Her fans are sending in videos of themselves and they're all communicating over, I guess, Instagram, maybe TikTok as well. And she basically records this album. It's called How I'm Feeling Now. It's got one of my favorite tracks of hers on it called Claws, a very catchy tune. And what I think I liked about the doc, and, and, and it does operate sort of as a commercial the way that I think Olivia Rodrigo's doc does. But what I think I liked about this doc a little bit more is just that it does really... Um, express this desire for community. You know, even though even though we're all kind of locked in our homes by ourselves for the most part, um, I mean, it's in the title, Alone Together. I mean, everyone can still connect. We still have uh, the internet. We can still connect with each other over Zoom. We can still dance and we can be creative and we can support one another. I think that, that really came across in this doc. And I think I was really moved as well by uh, Charlie's uh, honesty, just like Olivia Rodrigo. You know, she's very honest in her... Um, at least in her videos, or at least in her, I guess, Instagram updates and TikToks, she's uh, she's able to be vulnerable, and it's it's actually something she learned from her fans. She she has a lot of LGBTQ plus uh, fans, and I think what she says is that many of them are very vulnerable, and that allowed her to be more vulnerable. And yeah, I think you know it's it's a touching it's a touching little film. I think if you're a, a super fan of hers like I am, you'll really enjoy it. If you're new to Charlie XCX, I think you might enjoy it as well. I definitely think you should listen to her music. And okay, so what? It's a commercial. Whatever, who cares? <laughs> Um, but I, I, I loved it. I, 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 like I said, I'm a, I'm a diehard fan of hers and I really enjoyed it. I know, Samiko, you're a fan of hers as well, yeah? I am. I've been into her since, not quite as soon as you have, but I've liked her since her Iggy Azalea song, Fancy. I didn't know too much about her because when uh, Colin told me, I was like, Charlie Baltimore? Because <laughs> that's from my generation. But I looked her up and um, it's so fascinating. Do you remember during the pandemic, 
when celebrities tried to connect with their fans online and it just went south. Um, I think Charlie's one of those artists that knows how to do it really well. Um, so I'm actually kind of, maybe if you need a plus one call into the concert, maybe I can be your plus one. But uh, yeah, I'm interested in actually uh, seeing her perform live. I, I bought tickets already and I think, <laughs> I think we, I, I can see if there's another one if you want to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just to say, yeah, I'm not invited. That's all right. That's right. So uh, the, the documentary that I uh, watched was uh, Genius, a Kanye trilogy. And um, so this documentary was shot over 20 years and it was directed and produced by Clarence Cootie Simmons and Chike Ozar, who are part of Kanye's inner circle. They've known him for uh, many decades. And also, I got Cootie on the camera. <laughs> Round fest right there. Me and Fest got to an argument in the car. Y'all felt like he disrespected me, man. Trying to say I wasn't a genius yet. Uh, but who are you to call yourself a genius? And we're actually lucky we got to see this documentary because a few weeks before it came out, Kanye posted on Instagram that he wanted to get uh, editorial input uh, before it was released. But uh, Cootie said that uh, they were not going to do that and it was going to be released. Um, Cootie was interviewed on a TV show, Tamron Hall, um, and asked if he's still friends with Kanye and why they made the decision to go ahead with the documentary. And they, he basically said that um, this wasn't about Kanye, this was about his fans. Um, and so I don't know. And she also asked them if they were still friends with him. And he kind of said, yeah, I sent him quotes and stuff. So he didn't really, I mean, if you're good friends with somebody, you could just pick up the phone and talk to them anyway. That's neither here or there. It is actually a really great documentary. I kind of fell out of love with Kanye when that whole stuff with Trump, and I was just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, no. But watching this um, reminded me of why I loved his music. And you get to see Kanye before, when he was Kanye West, because now he goes by Ye. Um, there's a lot of little different nuggets you see in the documentary. At one point in the doc, he's really upset that he was uh, billed as Kanye for this event. He's like, you know, it should be Kanye West. I'm, I know this is a good thing to happen that I'm at this event, but I'm upset it should be Kanye West. Who's Kanye? Maybe they should just make it Ye. And then now he's apparently legally changed his name to Ye. Um, the Did he really do that? I didn't know that. Apparently, yeah. Apparently he's changed oh. it to Ye. So who, you know, so little nuggets. Um, and Genius, uh, he had a puppy growing up called Genius. Anyway, there are a lot. I, I can see why Kanye might wanted to have editorial uh, input in it, because there are, there's a lot of painful moments um, in the documentary when he's trying to get people to listen to him because people knew him first as a producer, so they didn't really take him seriously as an MC, and he got brushed over by so many people. And there are parts of the documentary where I just kind of felt like you could see his um, energy just kind of fall apart. They Way he was dismissed. I mean, the music industry is really harsh, and for a guy coming from Chicago and hip hop being dominated by guys from uh, New York City or LA, he kind of didn't, you know, um, I think it was really difficult for him to find a spot. Um, and even with Rockefeller, eventually they signed him, but they kind of let him on for a very long time. So you had these AR guys who wanted to sign him, and then the people at the top were like, oh, he's just a producer. So I can understand why he has like a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. But the best footage in the documentary is uh, footage with his mom. His mom actually even says, Kanye, you come off as arrogant, right? Like she's calling, she's like, you come off as arrogant. But she also 
when he responds, he's like, oh, you really think I'm arrogant? And she goes, no, you know, if you're a star, you need to be a star, right? And she uses this analogy of um, if you're a giant, you don't really see anybody, like everybody else sees you. So, and she says, you have to remember, you have to keep your head in the clouds, but also your feet on the ground. Um, and it was really nice to see that footage between him and his mom. She even took the crew to where he grew up. And maybe this is a gift to Kanye to have that those memories of his mom on um, on record. I don't know if he's watched it. I hope he's watched it because I think he might actually uh, he, he's actually the person he always was now. If you do you get what I'm saying? Like the person he is now is the person he was back then. If you watch the documentary, you kind of see he hasn't really changed. Really? I think he's I, I think he's I think he really did change i think something happened to him when his mom died i think no, that, uh, I think obviously yeah snapped. that is trauma and in the documentary he always says that you know when you when you're doing something god always reminds you kind of like you know when he had his car accident um when he was in the car accident after getting signed so he has i think he was the same even back then he was kind of like i want to be an mc even though i'm a producer and he also believed in himself back then when people were like, oh, you're just a producer, you're not an MC." So I think that belief in himself has always been there. And Cootie in the interview said that um, the documentary is for people because when you watch it, the the wisdom that his mom gives him, I think we can all benefit from. Like you believe in yourself. And Kanye's always been a person that pushes against the narrative of what people expect him to be. <laughs> I'm saying it's like, I know him. Since I've watched the documentary, well, now I'm a subject expert. Now, now that... <laughs> Now that you mentioned that, Nam, yeah, you, this may have never happened before in the history of this podcast. You're actually in this documentary. I am, and I didn't know that I made the cut. <laughs> I had no idea they had this footage, but I kept. I went morning. I woke up on my I've, my DMs were like full. Oh, you're in the Kanye uh, documentary. Well, just so give I, us give some context. Yeah, what I'll happened? give it a little bit of context. Um, we were in LA for the All Star Game, and. We knew of Kanye as a producer. I was hosting a show called NBXL. It was a marriage between hip hop, culture, music, fashion, all that stuff. And we covered all the all-stars. Um, my producer was like, oh, there's Kanye West is performing at this thing. And we knew him as a producer. And he also used to write a column, I think, for The Fader. So he wrote this column. I think it was a design focused. That's what we wanted to get him. We're like, oh, he has an album. And not many people knew who Kanye West, Kanye West was. So we were like, okay, let's try to see if we can get him. And we got him for about like six, seven minutes. And we talked about basketball and music and design, culture. And he was great. He was a really nice guy. But even in the interview, he was really like, again, he was very sure of himself. And so it's kind of cool that I was a little bit part of that, which is neat. I thought it was very cool. <laughs> yeah, Shemika, yeah. what did you think of it? I loved it. And I think the idea of having Cootie as like the audience surrogate was such a genius choice. Like, to be honest, there's very little about his life right now that we don't know. So for it to be a portrait of Kanye's life, I think would have been redundant. It was more of a retelling of like what it's been like to be a devotee of Kanye. And I thought that was really great. And I agree with Nam. It reminded me why I was a fan of him because I too had fallen out of love, but I was, it really renewed my enthusiasm. The College Dropout was the first album I've ever bought um, and it reminded me of why I liked him in the first place and when you hear the chords like Jesus walks like it just oh my you God. still get the your hair just stands up right I, I would say I'm not the biggest Kanye fan I, I think I, I did buy College Dropout I, I think I enjoyed it after that I just sort of lost interest in him and you know subsequent records didn't really impress me that much sorry to say and I think his behavior in the last few years has really turned me against him I did think this doc though 
really showed, you know, just the making of a star. I really like seeing that, you know, especially with music docs. I really like seeing the beginning of someone's origin story. And I thought this doc, doc did a pretty good job of that. And also kind of contextualizing some of the, I guess, behavior that, you know, we've seen in the last few years that uh, maybe didn't impress us as much. I want to ask you guys just what you think about each of these artists as a representative of each of their generations. Um, Samika, what do you think of, of Olivia Rodrigo in terms of her, I guess, generational impact? I think the word that comes to mind is sentience. I think that she does a really good job of making sense of really big feelings about self-doubt and love and control and the lack of thereof and really like capturing a lot of the Gen Z frustrations, but also a lot of the joys and, and obviously like her aesthetic resonates. I think that her sound tapping into that like pop punk uh, sensibility is very timely right now. So I think that she is a harbinger of like what's to come in music in terms of like the pop punk revival that we're seeing um, both sonically and aesthetically. Um, but yeah, I think that, like I said before, she is the everyman that is probably the most fitting successor to Taylor Swift, I would say. So I think that's her generational impact on my end. And Nam, does Kanye represent Gen X in a, in a way that, that looks familiar to you? I think so. Um, that's a really good question. I think he does because Gen for us Gen Xers, it's like um, you didn't get put on. You had to put yourself on. You had to hustle. And watching the documentary, you see like Kanye basically made his career happen. Like He got a lot of no's, uh, but he hustled until he got the yes. And also, I think this kind of like pushback of what you were when you were younger. Um, Kanye has been in has been doing this for a very long time going on, you know, uh, over two decades now. And I think sometimes with our artists, it's really hard for us to get on board the evolution uh, of who they become later on in life or who they become at a certain point in their lives. They're and if you're a high profile person, these things are going to be put on the front page. And now with social media, things that should be kept private are now being uh, consumed on social media. And maybe these artists don't know where the line should, you know, should stop. Um, but I think seeing Kanye, it's like Kanye is demanding to be seen uh, for his genius. <laughs> um, <laughs> after all this time, I think he still thinks that people don't give him the credit that he deserves. And I think that's a Gen Xer thing. We're always like, hi, we're also here. Everyone seems to forget that we're in the room. But um, yeah, just to see, like, try to be, evolve in front of people and become a different thing when, when you're maybe he feels like he owes his fans something and maybe his fans feel like he owes them something and then that kind of like that tension that that creates hmm. um so yeah i would say for charlie xcx you know as the millennial of the of the three artists here i i was trying to think about what ways she represents millennials and i mean the only example the biggest example i could think of is she did this really great song called 1999 which is sort of a a look back at uh, the year 1999 in her song and the lyrics, and she's talking about all the kind of pop culture that was pop prominent at the time. And if you watch the music video, there's a lot of references to Eminem, the Spice Girls, the Matrix. Like she's she's really tapping into sort of uh, a lot of the 90s nostalgia that I think a lot of millennials have. I also think her music kind of reminds me of that early 90s dance. Remember Dance Mix 94? 
Nan knows what I'm talking about. There was all these, these, this, there was kind of a really uh, explosion of dance music at that time, pop dance, popular dance music. And I think she sort of taps into a lot of that with her, with her lyrics. Again, not the most deep, uh, I mean, a lot of, some of it's about her boyfriend in this most recent album she did, but it's very much in, in, in term, it's very much a, like a, a dance oriented, pop oriented direction. And, you know, millennials love that stuff, right? Like millennials love that kind of like, you know, club sound, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, that's it. Those are the three docs. Those are the three artists we chose. I don't know if you guys have any closing thoughts at all. Uh, nothing on my end. I, I think that was great. I'm so glad that I I was encouraged to check out this documentary because otherwise I would not have watched it at all. But um, I think Olivia Rodrigo definitely owes you one, Colin, because she gained a fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, we owe you one. Thank you so much for joining us, Namika. Where can people find you? Yeah, on Instagram, I'm at SumiVans, S-U-M-I-V-A-N-D-Z, and that is my handle across all social media. Thank awesome. you, Sumiko. Thank, Thank you. you. And that's the podcast. Genius, a Kanye trilogy, is on Netflix. Charlie XCX, Alone Together, is on Amazon Prime. And Olivia Rodrigo, Driving Home to You, is on Disney+. Plus. While you're here, why not give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about us. It helps new listeners to find the show. You can follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. And you can follow me at Nanshine, all one word. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara, senior producer Katie O'Connor, production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell, and executive producer Laurie Few. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs> <laughs>